I want to welcome you back to the wrestling room and to episode number three of what I'm calling What I'm Learning, where I just share with you what God is speaking to me from his word as I study in my own personal time. And I've got a word that I want to share with you today. And I come with a heavy heart because right now we are battling. There's a group of us praying and battling for the life of a dear, dear friend of mine, a dear brother who is in the hospital having just had surgery to remove clots from his lungs. And his life is literally touch and go as I'm speaking. So we are praying, we're battling for him. And I'm going to talk about that more in just a moment. But friends, listen, recently Nancy Pelosi made the statement, we're not going to World War III, referring to Ukraine and Russia. But I want to tell you something. We are in World War III. We are in the battle of the ages right now. Right now, we are in a bloody spiritual warfare that spans the globe. History is being made, and the world is hurtling down the highway of history, careening down the road, screaming down the road of history, right into the book of Revelation. And while the masses of humanity have been distracted and literally duped by pandemics and wars and lockdowns and mandates and masks, the prophecies of Daniel and Ezekiel and First and Second Thessalonians and Revelation are being fulfilled or are on the verge of being fulfilled literally at this moment. The so-called elites of this world, the richest of the rich, the political power brokers, they're literally plotting and planning to eliminate all sovereign nations to be replaced by what they're calling stakeholders, which are literally the rich political elite of the world who will literally dominate and run the lives of every person on the planet. That is happening right now. We're literally standing on the precipice of a one-world government led by a one-world leader who is described most graphically in Revelation 13. So welcome to life as we know it on planet Earth. So what are we to do? What are we to do? <laughs> well, I want to take you to first... Timothy chapter 2 verse 1 where we are given our marching orders for how we are to face life in 2022 and beyond. And so here it is. Here's the verse. I want to break it down for you. Paul says this, first of all then, he says, first of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayer and petitions and thanksgiving be made for all men. What is he saying? He's saying this, in the face of this onslaught, in the face of persecution, in the face of upcoming persecution that we will experience here in the United States and that many are experiencing around the world, we are to pray. We are to pray, brothers and sisters. So I want to break this verse down. First Timothy 2 verse 1. Stick with me. If you're starting to tune out because I'm talking about prayer again, God have mercy on you because prayer is... As Paul says, he says, first of all, then, I urge you, first of all, prayer is our priority. There are two thoughts I want to bear out before I get into the meat of this. Number one, prayer is priority one. Priority one. This word, first of all, is the word protos. It literally means first in rank, first in influence, first in time, first in importance, the place of highest honor. And I want to ask you this. 
in the face of all that is going on, has prayer moved its way up your priority list to number one on the list? Is prayer number one? The typical Christian life is extraordinarily anemic. Maybe we throw out prayers for blessing for our work, blessing for our kids, blessing for our families. Maybe we pray over a meal. And if, in, if we're in public, eating in a public place, God forbid that we pray because somebody might be offended or we might look foolish. Friends, hear me. Prayer is priority one. It is a weapon that God has given us to fight with in the face of what we are dealing with in this world. Jesus said this as he cleared out the temple. He took a whip and he drove out the money changers and cleaned out the temple of all the perversion and the, the clutter. And he said this, my house, my father's house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations, for every people. And friends, listen, now our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the house of God. We are the temple that God lives in. And God is saying to us, my house is to be a house of prayer. And friends, many of us need the discipline of God in our lives to take a whip and to drive out the money changers, drive out the distractions, drive all those things that have taken priority over fiery daily prayer in our lives because it is not priority for most of us. Second Chronicles 7.14, God is speaking to a rebellious nation that is about to go into captivity, very much like our own nation that is about to fall because of its rebellion. He says this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Listen, the order is vital. God is saying this, if my people will humble, my, humble themselves, and then the very next action is prayer. I want to say this to you. Prayer is the ultimate act of humility. It is declaring to God, I need you. I can't live without you. I depend on you. You are my very life and my very breath. Prayer is an act of humility. By contrast, prayerlessness is an act of pride. If prayer is not a high, if not the highest priority in your life, you are living in pride before Almighty God. You are essentially saying, God, I don't need you. Prayer is a declaration of our need of God, our dependence upon Him. And if you have a life that you can control and that you don't need God and you don't feel compelled to your knees to pray and cry out to God, then your life is, you're living life way too small. You're living your life way underneath what God has called you to. Because He's never called us to anything that we can control and get done in our own strength, He's called us to a mission that is far greater than us, that depends on his power and requires us to cry out to him in prayer. So friends, Paul says, first of all, prayer is priority one. Priority one. And then he says this, I urge you. He says, I urge you. I urge that prayers be made. That word urge is parakaleo. It means to beg, to entreat, to beseech, or to plead. Essentially what Paul is saying is I'm down on my knees pleading with you to make prayer your top priority. Paul was very aware of the warfare going on in the world. When he when he spoke this to Timothy, saying, Timothy, you must teach the people that you're going to lead that prayer is their vital breath. <laughs> Friends, listen. Prayerless Christianity is careless Christianity. 
And I, in this video, am urging you as well. Jesus modeled this over and over and over. He had ministered for hours to people, fed the 4,000. Then he went off into the mountains late at night and prayed till 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning. Other, in Mark chapter 1, we see Jesus ministering late into the night, then getting up early in the morning to go out to the wilderness, to a lonely place, to pray, to seek the Father, to communicate with the Father. Because Jesus understood that even him, the God-man, the Son of God come in flesh, couldn't do what God had called him to do, what the Father had called him to do, without this vital link of prayer. Prayer is priority, and prayer is urgent. And I've heard all the excuses and I've made all the excuses. I don't have time to pray. Then you need to make time, brothers and sisters. I don't know how to pray. Then learn to pray. I don't like to pray. Pray until you learn how to like it. And it's too hard to pray. I've heard that one too. Listen, prayer is hard. Prayer is warfare. Prayer is effort. Prayer is hard. Some of the hardest work you'll ever do. But it's top priority. It's urgent. And it is the weapon by which God moves heaven and earth. Listen, friends, there's a tidal wave of evil in our world. We must create a tsunami of prayer. So I want to give you four weapons in your prayer arsenal and teach you how to pray with power in these final days that we're living in. So I want to show you four, four weapons in your arsenal of prayer here from 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. So here's the verse. Very simply, I'll read it. He says this, first of all, Paul is writing, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be made. And so I want to talk about these four different types of prayer, four weapons. Hang with me because Many people say, I don't know how to pray. I'm teaching you how to pray. These four types of prayer should be in your arsenal of prayer. Number one is entreaties. Entreaties. This is spontaneous prayer. And I'm going to give you four words starting with S so you can remember them easily. This is entreaties. This is spontaneous prayer. This word dehesis in the Greek means expressions of personal need and describes essentially a ongoing conversation between a child and their father, a child and their mother. It's this ongoing, frequent, daily, moment by moment, spontaneous praying. It's unrehearsed, non-religious. Just like our first son, Samuel, we call him the joy boy. If he was anywhere in our environment, he was talking, he was asking questions, he was expressing himself, he was dialoguing with us all day, ongoing, Unrehearsed, spontaneous conversation. That is what entreaties is. And it expresses our dependence on God. We're constantly coming to him. I need this. Lord, I need your help with this. I need your strength with this. Lord, I just want to connect with you. I need your power, your presence, your personality in this situation. Entreaties is spontaneous, ongoing, daily, moment-by-moment -moment prayer. So that is our first weapon. Number two, he says, and I want prayers to be made. I first of all urge that prayers be made. That's not just spontaneous prayer, but now specific prayer, or even more specifically, set apart prayer. This is the Greek word prosuke, and it means blocks of dedicated and focused 
prayer. This is designated, dedicated, blocked, consistent prayer, and it expresses our devotion to God. Heather and I, my wife and I, we have almost every morning a block of time that we have dedicated to be together, to have breakfast, to drink coffee together. Coffee is not just a drink for us. It's a bond. It's a glue that glues our relationship. We read the scripture most often and we pray together. And it's blocked every morning. That is what this kind of praying is. It's dedicated, blocked, specific prayer. Jesus modeled this, friends. Jesus modeled this. In Luke 5, 16, it says, But Jesus, after ministry, after all sorts of work, he was exhausted. It says he would often slip away to the wilderness to pray. He had dedicated himself to spending time with his Father. The first church modeled this. It says this in Acts 2.42, where it describes the four founding pillars of the church. It says, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prosuke, dedicated blocks of prayer. The church prayed consistently. It was planned prayer. It was devoted prayer. Listen, I'm reading a book right now called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Pastor Jim Simbel. It's an older book, but it talks about the growth and explosion of Brooklyn Tabernacle, uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle in, in New York City or in Brooklyn, New York, and how that church, God told Jim Simbola in a powerful moment down in Florida, if you will lead my people to pray, you will never have enough room to hold all the people that I will bring to you. And there was a pastor who came, or a man of God who came and sat in one of his services, and he told Jim this, you can tell how popular the pastor is by who comes on Sunday morning, but you can tell how popular Jesus is by who comes to the prayer meeting. And they began to pray and pray, and Tuesday nights was their night of fire and passion when they cried out to God. Sunday morning, they preached the word. Tuesday night, they came, and they just prayed, and that church has exploded. We visited it, uh, it years ago. God is doing great work in that place because the people pray. They dedicate blocks of prayer. So our second warfare weapon, friends, in our arsenal is dedicated, set-apart time to pray in a set-apart place. And I'm going to ask you, do you have dedicated, set-apart time to pray in a set-apart place? For me, it's my prayer walk every morning. I get out on the road. I have a 35 to 45-minute walk that I do. And when I step out onto that road, I just declare to God, here I am, James 4, 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And I just say, okay, Lord, here I am, drawing near to you. Right now, I don't necessarily feel like praying, but Spirit of God, Stir up the gift of God is God that is within me. Help me to pray. Help me to fight and to do battle in prayer as I walk. And God has answered that prayer many, many times. I go, I end up at St. Mark's Catholic Church. I've shared this with many of you. And I'll walk around the perimeter inside that church in the dark almost with beautiful stained glass, the sun coming through and pictures of Jesus sitting on his throne in heaven. And friends, it's glorious. That's my dedicated time to pray. So number two, prayers. Number three is the word petitions. And this is special prayer. We have spontaneous prayer, specific prayer, and special prayer. And there are three aspects that I want to bear out here. The first is that this special 
prayer, these petitions are stand in the gap praying. This is warfare praying. This is intercession. This is when we drop everything and we rally to one point and begin to battle. This, the concept of stand in the gap has the picture of a wall around a city that has been battered and a hole has formed. The enemy is about to come in. Hostility is about to take over the city. The city is about to be sacked and destroyed. And the warriors and the citizens of that city literally say, we will pledge our lives. We will pledge our energy. We will pledge our time. We will step into that hole and we will battle for the safety of this city, for the lives of the people of this city. That is stand in the gap praying. This is what happened in Acts chapter 12 when Peter was imprisoned by Herod. 16 guards placed around him. He was chained and shackled in this prison. And it says in the book of Acts chapter 12, it says that Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. It was being made in the house of Mary where the people had gathered and were praying late into the night. And you know the story. The angel of the Lord came in direct answer to prayer, literally delivered Peter out of that prison right to the front door of Mary's house. This is stand in the gap praying. These people rallied and fervently prayed for Peter. But it's also sniper praying. This special praying is sniper praying. The word tunkano is the root word of petitions, and it means to hit the mark. It pictures uh, an archer shooting an arrow at a bullseye. It is very focused praying. And brothers and sisters, when we come together, and we're standing in the gap and we're praying. We're praying focused prayers. We're sniper praying. We're praying specifically for specific people, for specific situations, for specific outcomes. And God honors sniper specific praying. But thirdly, it is also birthing praying birthing praying. These special prayers are birthing something. And often the person that we're praying for, that we're standing in the gap for, that we're sniper praying for is far from Jesus. Many times they don't know Jesus. And so when we begin to pray, we're praying for new life, we're new birth. And so I want to share a story with you out of this book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, that is so powerful and so moving. And I'll give you kind of the background. Jim and his wife, Carol Simla, in Brooklyn, New York, have built this church. God has poured out his spirit. It's growing like crazy. It's become an international movement down in Brooklyn, New York. And at the same time, their 16-year-old daughter is not only pulling away from them, but pulling away from Jesus, is dating a, a young man who is everything they don't want for her, and has actually left the home as a prodigal child. And so Jim is teaching three times a week. He's leading this movement. Carol, his wife, is leading the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, winning awards, ministering all over the place, writing music, and Inside their own family, there is war, spiritual warfare going on. So I want to share a few thoughts out of this book. Friends, this is what birthing praying does. This is special praying. This is petitions. Let me read a couple things out of this, out of this story. So as this is all going on, Carol 
discovered that, discovered that she needed an operation, a hysterectomy. So add to all the pressure of a prodigal child, health issues. And so I'm just going to read. As she tried to adjust afterward, after she had had this hysterectomy, the devil took the opportunity to come after her and say, you might have this big choir and you're making albums and doing outreaches at Radio City Music Hall and all the rest. Fine. You and your husband can go ahead and reach the world for Christ, but I'm going to have your children. I've already got the first one and I'm coming for the next two. Can you imagine that? The enemy whispering in her ears, I'm going to have your children. I've got the first one. I'm coming for the next two. Meanwhile, Jim is asking people for prayer, and one of his close pastor friends essentially says to him, Jim, I love you and your wife, but the truth of the matter is Chrissy's going to do what Chrissy's going to do. That's their daughter. You don't really have much choice now that she's 18. She's now turned 18. She's determined you're going to have to accept whatever she decides. So instead of saying, I'm going to come alongside and battle with you, he's essentially saying, what is, what, what is going to happen is going to happen. Christy's an adult. She's going to make her own decisions. You just got to live with it. Well, here's what Jim says. I hung up the phone. Something very deep within me began to cry out, never. I will never accept Chrissy being away from you, Lord. And he says, I knew if she continued on the present path, there would be nothing but destruction awaiting her. So here's what took place in Jim's heart. Once again, there, be, there came a divine showdown. God strongly impressed me to stop crying, screaming, or talking to anyone else about Chrissy. I was to converse with no one but God. In fact, I knew I should have no further contact with Chrissy until God acted. I was just to believe and obey what I had preached so often. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will answer you. I dissolved in a flood of tears. I knew I had to let go of the situation. So he began to pray privately, passionately for this situation. Now, fast forward to a Tuesday night prayer meeting in February, because this church was a praying church. Let me read it to you. One Tuesday night during the prayer meeting, I talked from Acts 4 about the church boldly calling on God in the face of persecution. We entered into a time of prayer, everyone reaching out to the Lord simultaneously. An usher handed me a note. A young woman who I felt to be spiritually sensitive had written, Pastor Simula, I feel impressed that we should stop the meeting and all pray for your daughter. I hesitated. Was it right to change the flow of the service and focus on my personal need? Yet something inside of me and, and in the note ringed true. In a few minutes, I picked up a microphone and told the congregation what had just happened. The truth of the matter, I said, although I haven't talked much about it, is that my daughter is far from God these days. She thinks up is down and down is up, dark is light and light is dark. But I know God can break through to her, and so I'm going to ask Pastor Bookstaff to lead us in praying for Chrissy. Let's all join hands across the sanctuary. Friends, this is Stand in the Gap, sniper, birthing praying you're about to hear about here. As my associate began to lead the people, I stood behind him with my hand on his back. My tear ducts had run dry, but I prayed as best I knew. To describe what happened in the next minutes, I can only employ a metaphor. The church 
turned into a labor room. The sounds of women giving birth are not pleasant, but the results are wonderful. Those uh, There arose a groaning, a sense of desperate determination, as if to say, Satan, you will not have this girl. Take your hands off of her. She's coming back. I was overwhelmed. The force of that vast throng calling on God almost literally knocked me over. When I got home that night, Carol was waiting up for me. We sat at the kitchen table drinking coffee, and I said, It's over. What's over, she wondered. It's over with Chrissy. You would have had to be in the prayer meeting tonight. I tell you, if there's a God in heaven, this whole nightmare is finally over. And I described what had taken place. 32 hours later, on Thursday morning, as I was shaving, Carol suddenly burst through the door, her eyes wide. Go downstairs, she blurted. Chrissy's here. Chrissy's here? Yes, go down. But Carol, I... Just go down, she urged. It's you she wants to see. I wiped off the shaving foam and headed down the stairs, my heart pounding. As I came around the corner, I saw my daughter on the kitchen floor, rocking on her hands and knees, sobbing. Cautiously, I spoke her name. Chrissy? She grabbed my pant leg and began pouring out her anguish. Daddy, Daddy, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against myself. I've sinned against you and Mommy. Please forgive me. My vision was as clouded by tears as hers. I pulled her up from the floor and held her close as we cried together. Suddenly she drew back. Daddy, she said with a start, who was praying for me? Who was praying for me? Her voice was like that of a cross-examining attorney. What do you mean, Chrissy? On Tuesday night, Daddy, who was praying for me? I didn't say anything. So she continued, in the middle of the night, God woke me and showed me I was heading toward the abyss. There was no bottom to it. It scared me to death. I was so frightened. I realized how hard I've been, how wrong, how rebellious. But at the same time, it was like God wrapped his arms around me and held me tight. He kept me from sliding any further and he said, I still love you. Daddy, tell me the truth. Who was praying for me Tuesday night? I looked into her bloodshot eyes, and once again I recognized the daughter I had, that we had raised. Chrissy's return to the Lord became evident immediately. By that fall, God had opened a miraculous door for her to enroll at a Bible college where she not only undertook studies, but soon began directing music groups and a large choir just like her mother. Today, she's a pastor's wife in the Midwest with three wonderful children. Through all of this, Carol and I learned as never before that persistent calling upon the Lord breaks through every stronghold of the devil, for nothing is impossible with God. For Christians in these troubled times, there's simply no other way. My dear brother, my dear sister, God has given us a battering ram to batter down the gates of hell. He's given us a weapon so that we can stand in the gap. He's given us a weapon that we can sniper pray, focus, specific, powerful prayers. He's given us a labor room to, to enter into and give birth to new life. But it's work. It requires sacrifice. But it is our only 
hope in these days. The third weapon in our arsenal is petition praying. Stand in the gap, special, specific praying. Expressing our ultimate confidence in God. Lord, if you don't act, we have no plan, we have no power, but our eyes are on you. We wrestle with you for strength to wrestle with the enemy, to batter down the gates of hell and set the captives free. Friends, that is petition praying. But it's followed by number four, and that is thanksgivings. And how appropriate is that? When we are spontaneously conversing with God all day, expressing our dependence upon him. When we are setting aside specific time to spend with him. And then when we are rallying for special, stand-in-the-gap, sniper, birthing prayer. And God comes through. And God answers. And God shows his power. And God delivers. And God brings new life. And light shines out of the darkness. And we stand back and say, how awesome is our God. It only stands to reason that the fourth type of praying is thanksgiving. I call it satisfied prayer. Satisfied prayer. Where we just say, Lord, you're great. You're mighty. You're awesome. This is from the Greek word eucharistos, which means that mindful of favors where we just recall and recount all that God has done. We pour out our heart to him in gratitude for all that he's done, all that he is. Some of the greatest moments in my life were on Thursday morning when I pray with men from all over the United States on Zoom. And often we'll start our prayer meeting with just Thanksgiving prayer, Eucharistos, pouring out our hearts bringing to mind all the favors of God, all the kindness of God, all the goodness of God, all the generosity of God, just lifting him high, worshiping Jesus for his benevolence, for his great heart towards us. Friends, this is the most suitable, most suiting type of fourth weapon in our arsenal is thanksgiving and praise to God for his goodness. And I will tell you, if you're down right now, if you're, in the, if you're in the dumps of depression, if you're discouraged, if you're disillusioned, whatever the case might be, I encourage you to start with thanksgiving. Begin to just recall and recount all the favors of God, all the goodness of God. And friends, it will lift your spirit and it will help you begin to do warfare. It will help you begin to spend time with God. It'll jumpstart that conversation with him. Just recall all the goodness of God. He has blessed us so much. He's so good. He's so good. So that, my friends, is our arsenal. Spontaneous prayer. Specific prayer. Special prayer. And satisfied prayer. And friends, as we begin to practice, you will begin to pray powerful powerful prayers. You will be, your life will become more powerful in these final days. Your life will count. You will not be a victim to what is going on. You will be light shining out of darkness. So my prayer for you is that this will encourage you to action, 
that you will walk away from this particular training and teaching and take action, alter your life, repent if you are not praying, ask God to forgive you, and then take action. Respond to this truth. And if you don't know Jesus, if you've never repented of your sin and given your heart to him, do it now while you still have time. He is, his arms are wide open. His hands are beckoning you to come to him. To let go of your sin and make him the leader and Lord of your life. Jesus, I pray all these things in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining me during this last few minutes. I pray that you have been blessed and challenged. We'll see you next time right here in the wrestling room. God bless your week.